they do not make faces like Warren Beatty's anymore. I don't think it's genetically possible. He That smirk, he has a smirk for days. You can hear it when he talks. You don't even have to see him. You can just hear it. Hi, everyone. I'm Bolton. And I'm Grace. And welcome to Crime Scenes, a true crime movie podcast. And this is episode three. All right, so what are we doing today, Grace? We are doing the 1967 film, Bonnie and Clyde. Here we go. Their paths crossed like two hot wires. They roared off on what might easily have been a wild, romantic lark. But almost before they knew it, with the giggles still in their ears, they had bloodied up poor state. Just figured on some easy pickings, didn't you, Frank? You know, Texas Ranger, you ain't hardly doing your job. You ought to be home protecting the rats of poor folk, not out chasing after us. I know. Oh, oh, take we, the we, we, we look. What do you want to do with him, then? Right. Hang him. I don't know. Ah, uh, uh, take his picture. And then everybody's going to see Captain Frank Hammer of the Texas Rangers with the Barra Gang. <laughs> now, you know, we are just about the friendliest folks you would ever want to meet. That's Bonnie. Faye Dunaway. That's Clyde Warren Beatty. kind of want to apologize because I really wanted to do this one because I hadn't seen it in a long time and it's a really good movie. I did not realize it is not very accurate to the actual story at all. So we're going to deal with that. We'll see how it goes. You can watch this movie on Netflix. Just a little overview for it. It is from 1967. It is starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway as the title characters, along with Michael J. Pollard, Gene Hackman, and Estelle Parsons. It was directed by Arthur Penn. It was written by David Newman and Robert Benton. And Warren Beatty also produced the film. It explores the exploits of the well-known outlaws, robbers, and criminals Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow, who, with their gang, traveled the central United States during the Great Depression. This movie was one of the first films of the quote-unquote New Hollywood era. It broke many cinematic taboos. It featured a lot of violence and a lot of sexual innuendo. It was much more graphic than anything that had ever come before. It also became known for one of the bloodiest death scenes in cinematic history. This movie is actually based in Dallas, which was interesting for me because I'm from Dallas. So I was able to go and see Clyde Barrow's gravesite and took a picture. So we'll post that on our Instagram and other social medias. 
The sources for this movie is going to be the actual movie Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. I listened to a very long audiobook called <laughs> Go Down Together, The True Untold Story of Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde by Jeff Gunn. It's from 2010. Grace also listened to another book called My Life with Bonnie and Clyde by Blanche Caldwell Barrow. This was published in 2014, but that is the sister-in-law to Clyde Barrow. If you have any questions about any of our sources, you can find them on our website and our show notes. All right, a few things about this movie before we start. This film considerably simplifies the lives of Bonnie and Clyde and their gang. Some of these events are complete fiction. There are some events that really happened that are kind of important that they do not include in the movie. (laughs) And there's a lot of events depicted in the movie completely out of order. Additionally, there are some fictionalized characters in the movie. We talked about how we want to do this today. We don't want to turn this into a history lecture by going back and forth and trying to make sure we make all the order correct for everything that is talked about and shown in the movie. So what we're going to do is recap the movie like we always do. And when we get to differences, we will briefly discuss them and then move on to the next thing. All of this is to say it may feel like we're jumping around the timeline a little bit of Bonnie and Clyde's life, but we're going to skip over anything that we don't think is too significant Okay, let's get into this movie. Let's do it. So the opening credits in this movie start and you are hearing a series of clicks. It's almost like a camera click. With each camera click, you're getting a different photo. And these are old sepia photos. Then you start to see that the photos begin with young children and their families and the people are gradually getting older as the photos go on. There's actually... 32 photos that you see in total. The first 30 of these, I believe, are real photos of Bonnie and Clyde. I could not confirm this anywhere. I searched everywhere trying to determine, are these real pictures? They look real. And basically, these are all photos from before the time that they began their lives of crime. You'll also notice that the on-screen text that's showing who is starring in the film, who directed it, and all that jazz, it starts as white and very slowly goes to red. It's supposed to be symbolic for the fact that they started as innocent people and ultimately fell to a life of crime that killed them. I did not know this. I looked that up. I saw it somewhere. I'm not that smart. (laughs) And randomly, I don't know if you noticed this. Did you notice that there is a person in this movie named Evans Evans? No, I did not. There's an actress. I'm going to point her out when we get to her. But her first name and her last name are apparently the same. I saw it at the opening credits and I was like, who is that? So anyway, we get to these last two photos. These are not real photos of Bonnie and Clyde. They are presented to us in a split screen. On one half of the screen is the photo and one half is some text. The first one we see is of a woman. It's clearly Faye Dunaway and she is supposed to be Bonnie Parker. And the text says, Bonnie Parker was born in Rowena, Texas in 1910 and then moved to West Dallas. In 1931, she worked in a cafe before beginning her career in crime. Then there's another click. We get another screen. And this time it is a split screen with Warren Beatty on one side as Clyde Barrow. And the other side has text that says, Clyde Barrow was born to a family of sharecroppers. As a young man, he became a small-time thief and robbed a gas station. He served two years for the armed robbery and was released on good behavior in 1931. So what the movie has basically done is it is setting us up to start in 1931. It also does not really go into the childhood and adolescence of Bonnie and Clyde. We're just starting from this point. 
Mm-hmm. Problem is, Bonnie and Clyde met before 1931. A lot of things happened before 1931. So we're going to do our best here. Then we go from these opening credits to a very big close-up of a woman's mouth that slowly comes out, and you realize this is Bonnie. She is in her room, really just not doing anything, and she is naked. Yes. At the time, this movie was known for how provocative it was, and it hits the ground running, especially in this case, because I think part of it is, you know the filmmakers were like, The people watching this know Faye Dunaway is naked on this set. Like, someone Mm -hmm. saw her boobs. (laughs) And Faye Dunaway is, like, blonde bombshell to a T. Yes. Not only is she naked, she's laying in the bed, and you can see that she's just, she's bored and aggravated because she is so bored. Like, she's literally hitting the bed out of Mm -hmm. frustration. And that was very similar to Bonnie Parker at around the time that she met Clyde Barrow. She had been separated from her husband. She was married before, and he had left her. She had written a diary fairly recently to the time that she met Clyde Barrow, and she had talked about how she just wanted more in her life. She had a big desire to be a star. She loved movies. She loved movie stars, and she wanted to be that. The problem was... She lived in a slum that she was never going to get out of, and Mm -hmm. she couldn't afford money to go to California. No one was ever going to, quote unquote, discover her where she was. She was at a place where her life kind of hit a dead end, and the one way she could have gotten out of that, which, which was getting married, didn't work out for her. So that's where Bonnie is at the time that she meets Clyde Barrow. Then all of a sudden, she's looking around, and she notices something. We notice she notices something. And there is a man, and he's walking around the car like he's either going to try to break into this car or he's going to steal the car altogether. Mm -hmm. And she yells out to him. Hey, boy, what you doing with my mama's car? And this guy turns around, and we now see Warren Beatty as Clyde Barrow looking up at her. And you clearly see at this point the fact that he is snooping around this car. It's weirdly turned her on. She's like, wait there, hold on. And she Mm -hmm. runs down the stairs. She's running down the stairs while still putting on her dress. She comes out and he's looking right at her. And she kind of starts giving him shit for trying to steal the car. But at the same time, it's very flirtatious. Ain't you ashamed? You're trying to steal an old lady's automobile. Oh, go on now. What you talking about? I've been thinking about buying me one. So I'm going to stop right here and make a few corrections. Number one. Bonnie and Clyde didn't meet this way. And number two, Clyde Barrow, he wasn't bad looking, but he did not look like Warren Beatty. He was about 5'7 and 125 pounds. He was a little bitty guy. Bonnie Parker also was no Faye Dunaway. She was 4'10. One thing that this does get right is that they very immediately hit it off. So this flirtation that they have between each other, even though Bonnie's trying to play hard to get, is very real. Mm Mm-hmm. They start talking. She's giving him shit for trying to steal her mom's car. And then he offers to take her in town for a Coke. I got enough money for Coca-Cola. And uh, since it don't look like you're going to invite me inside. You see the dining room table if I did. You want going down with it? How'd that be? I'm going to work anyway. She accepts and says, I'm going to work anyway. And she mentions that she is a waitress. It is true, after her marriage, she did get a job as a waitress, and it was in East Dallas. But she actually had lost that job by the time she met Clyde Barrow, which was one of the reasons why they met. Bonnie was unemployed, and she was helping a friend around the house 
because the friend had hurt their arm. So Bonnie was going over there doing some housekeeping. Clyde Barrow happened to come over as well, and this is how they meet. Then Bonnie asks him, What, what line of work you in when you're not stealing cars? Well, I tell you, uh, I'm looking for suitable employment right now. Oh, yeah. Well, what'd you do before? I was, uh, I was in state prison. State prison? Uh-huh. Well, I guess, uh, some little lady wasn't so nice. It was armed robbery. It is true. Clyde did go to prison for armed robbery. He went after Bonnie and Clyde knew each other. Clyde had several different charges of robbery against him. Clyde was actually staying at her house, not sleeping in the same bed. Mom would not allow that. (laughs) But he was staying there and the police knocked on the door with a warrant to take him to another town that had put the warrant out for him. Bonnie freaks the fuck out. Now, in the movie, she's turned on by this. The movie does this thing where they make Bonnie look like a gun-crazy nymphomaniac the whole time. And this starts the second he says that he was in prison for armed robbery. In reality, Bonnie absolutely freaked out. She was screaming so badly that Clyde couldn't hear what they were arresting him for. And had he heard, he would have figured out a way to weasel himself out or escape. I will say, even though he was arrested, Bonnie was very loyal to him while he was in jail at this time. She actually helped him escape. So he escapes and he's on the run for a little bit. Then he gets rearrested and he goes to prison. During this conversation in the movie, though, he tells her about this story where he cut off two of his toes to get out of work duty. I tell you, see my right foot? Yeah. I chopped two toes off that foot with an axe. What? Why? To get off of work detail. You won't see it? Uh, no. And that was actually true, that while in prison, Clyde Barrow cut off two of his toes to get off of the work prison site where you had to, like, bust rock to get transferred to a different prison. The way it's depicted, Clyde mentions to her that he cut off two of his toes, and he's almost doing it in a way that he's bragging, like, it wasn't a big deal, look how tough and look what I can handle type of thing. The reality is prison was a very bad experience for Clyde Barrow. He was very small, and the camp that he was sent to, it was normally reserved for lifers, for murderers. It was not meant for somebody like him that was going to prison for the first time. Also, at the time when Clyde went to prison, the purpose of prison was not to be rehabilitative at all whatsoever. It was all about basically using these people as their slaves and, be totally honest, just torturing them. They were absolutely Mm -hmm. tortured. So somehow, Clyde gets into this camp where he's not really supposed to be And it is intense, horrible labor. They're working all day. They get no breaks at all. They don't really get any food or water. And even at night, they're not really sleeping well because there's so much noise going on. The other thing is, while Clyde was in prison, he was sexually assaulted by another prisoner repeatedly during that time for about a year. One of the other prisoners did not like this guy that was assaulting Clyde Barrow. So what he did is he came up to him and said, hey, I'm a lifer, but I hate this guy. If you kill him, I'll take the blame for it, which was nuts. And Clyde Mm -hmm. takes them up on it. So one day Clyde goes towards the bathroom and he knows that this predator is going to follow him. And when he follows him in there, he has a pipe that this other inmate has provided for him. 
and he bashes him on the head and beats him to death. This is one of two murders that Clyde Barrow will commit that's actually premeditated, intentional. It's not an in-the-moment running away thing. It's not a self-defense thing. He only had two murders like that, and this is one of them. A couple things happen that help Clyde get out. He cuts off his toes for the purpose of getting out of this labor because it's so terrible. But his mom, and he didn't know this, was trying to get him out on parole. The parole is successful. He is released on parole, and it is a week after he cuts his toes off. Mm -hmm. So back to the movie, uh, we eventually get a shot of them guzzling these cokes that I had promised her. They cannot not have like a phallic object by Faye Dunaway's mouth. But go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, and we get the zoom-ins on both of their mouths. Obviously, Faye Dunaway's, I think they linger a bit more there, like you said. Um, But it's definitely like, we're going to make lots of things sexy in this movie. Yeah, and Bonnie asks him. What's it like? What you mean, prison? No. Armed robbery. They really want Bonnie to be gun crazy. And the thing is, When Bonnie initially became a part of the gang, she really wasn't seen as violent. There was a very specific incident that happened, we'll talk about later, that made her become known as gun crazy. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't really believe that he's really robbed anybody. And so he shows her his gun. And it's like, he's got the gun by his crotch sticking out and she's reaching for the gun. It's like, guys, we we get it, okay? So he goes into a grocery store and comes out with a bunch of cash. And so he Mm. runs in and comes out and they run to a car and he steals the car. Of course, now they're like, hey, what's your name anyhow? Clyde Barron. Hi, I'm Bonnie Parker. Pleased to meet you. It's at this point they decide to say their names to each other and they drive off into the sunset. With this upbeat banjo music that we're going to get throughout the film, which is pretty fun. Yeah, it is fun. So they're driving down the road and Bonnie is all over him to the point that like they almost crash the car and Clyde is like, can you fucking relax, please? (laughs) Eventually, he gets out from under her, and he says to her, Look here, I might as well tell you right off. I ain't much of a lover boy. <laughs> that don't mean nothing personal about you. I mean, I, I, I never saw no percentage in it. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I don't like boys. <laughs> I don't know why the movie does this. The movie has this ongoing storyline that Clyde is impotent. Right. In all my research, I did not find anything saying this was true. Everything I found showed that him and Bonnie did have a physical relationship. He had had relationships with women before this. There were mm-hmm. some speculations that Clyde Barrow might have been gay or bisexual. Mm-hmm. In the main book that I read, Go Down Together, It seemed to refute that, saying that he had some girlfriends after the fact, saying that that had never been an issue and neither had impotency. (laughs) Also, there were many occasions where when the gang was all together and staying in motels, they would send out the members that were staying with them in the same room so they could be alone together. Mm -hmm. Basically, I don't know why they decided to do this. I don't know if I missed something in my research, but he didn't have this issue. Well, I found that the original script actually had a menage a trois scene where the driver was going to be involved, but it was cut as being too sexy. So then I don't know why they swung completely the other way and were like, all right, Clyde's not going to be able to have sex for most of the movie. It's a weird storyline in this movie. It doesn't really make any sense. It's not at all accurate to what was going on, Mm -hmm. but here we are. I don't know. 
So after he has rejected Bonnie, they kind of have a little moment. And I like realized after I watched it the second time as I was taking notes, I was like, they've known each other for what, an hour at this point? Maybe, (laughs) maybe an hour. But he goes on this tirade with her where she's upset he's rejected her. And he starts talking about how, okay, you don't have to be with me. You can stay here in West Dallas, but I know you want more and I know you're meant for more. You know, you're like me. You want different things. You got something better than being a waitress. You and me traveling together, we could cut a path clean across this state and Kansas and Missouri and Oklahoma and everybody'd know about it. You listen to me, Miss Bonnie Parker. You listen to me. Now, how would you like to go walking in the dining room of the Dolphins Hotel in Dallas wearing a nice silk dress and have everybody waiting on you? Do you like that? This conversation did not happen between Bonnie and Clyde. They never had a moment where he was trying to persuade her to come with him. But there are some things that he says that are true to Bonnie's character at the time. She didn't want to be a factory worker. She didn't want to be a waitress. She wanted more. And she frequently talked about that in her journal. And then basically Clyde finishes up his tirade saying that if Bonnie comes with him, then she'll finally get out of these slums and they can go off and be together. It's the ultimate cheesy romantic moment. And she even asks him, how long have you been thinking this? And he's like, since the minute I met you. Again, they've known each other for maybe an hour. Yeah. But this idea that it was romantic to be with him and he's this criminal on the run, that also was one of the reasons that Bonnie actually stayed with him after he went to prison. The fact that he still wrote her letters even when he was in prison and that he had her help him escape before he initially went and stayed for that full year That was very romantic to her. She was very much a 20-year-old that was being a little much or just being dramatic (laughs) and, like, very into the, like, whole I'm in love thing. Yeah. So then we cut immediately to another scene. It's Bonnie and Clyde, and they're sitting in a restaurant. And Clyde is mansplaining to Bonnie what her life has been like and what it's going to be. You're born somewhere around East Texas, right? Yeah. You come from a big old family? Yeah. You went to school, of course, but you didn't take to it much because you was a lot smarter than everybody else, so you just up and quit one day. Now, when you were 16, you, 17, there was a guy who worked in a... In a cement plant. Right, cement plant. You, and you liked him because he thought you were just as nice as you could be. And you almost married that guy. But then you thought, no, you didn't think you would. So then you got you your job in a cafe. It's supposed to be like, oh my God, how did you know all these things about you? You know me so well. But in reality, number one, that's ridiculous. Number two... <laughs> None of those things are true. Clyde was known to run the show in his gang. They did what he wanted. But Bonnie was not really involved in the criminal acts of the gang until much later. And there was never a sense that he was telling her what to do or when to do it. In fact, Clyde, especially once he was wanted for murder, he gave her an out to not be with him anymore. But Bonnie wanted to stay. And this diner scene, one of the parts that got me is that Bonnie has this like little hair curl that's stuck to the side of her cheek. And Clyde points to it and he says, change it. I don't like it. And she immediately pats it all down, pins it back, fixes her hair, looks at him for approval. I get what they're trying to do, that she's seeking his approval and will basically do whatever he says. Obviously, the timeline in the movie is very expedited. Maybe by 1931, she was willing to do almost anything for him, but their relationship had been going on for years at that point. The thing is, both Bonnie and Clyde, and you notice what Clyde is wearing, 
he was a stylish dude. Going into some of Clyde's background, he was also very into fashion. The reason he wanted to live in Dallas and to get a job and quit school was because he wanted to be able to buy things, particularly clothes. And later, when Bonnie and Clyde had been in a relationship longer, Bonnie would style him and she would fix her hair and she would fix his hair and he loved it. So it was out of character for how they actually were. But also, Mm. it was very demanding of her, and she immediately changed. Now, you're right. I do think that ultimately she was doing things that she would never have done. And there was a moment where it was just a point of no return. Mm -hmm. But it certainly wasn't when they first lived together. And it it was over some deeper shit. It wasn't over her fucking hair. So they leave the restaurant, and Clyde just steals a car. Hey, that ain't ours. Sure it is. No, but we come in this one. I don't mean we have to go home in it. That was Clyde's go-to thing. Clyde did try to have a legitimate life and not a life of crime. He was going to school, and as I said earlier, he dropped out because he wanted a job, because he wanted to be able to move up out of the slums where they lived. West Dallas, where they lived, was known as the Bog. And he wanted to be able to afford nicer things. And his family was so poor that they didn't even have a tent to stay in. They laid and slept under their wagon for a very long time. So he tries to get a job. The problem is, based on where he was from, being from West Dallas, and the fact that there were no unions, Clyde was never going to amount to much, no matter how hard he tried. He changed jobs several times, not because he was getting fired or a bad worker, but because he was just trying to make more money. He was trying to move up to the next step, but there was just a a ceiling, if you will, to letting him move up any higher than what he was. So eventually, he fell under the bad influence of his brother, who we'll meet later. The first crime that he was actually arrested for was fully his brother's fault. He helped him steal some turkeys. And that's the other thing, too. A lot of the crimes that were committed by people in West Dallas, it wasn't a matter of greed, kind of like we saw in the bling ring last week. Yeah. It was very much about survival. Then, after that happened, he became very jaded to the fact that he was never able to make as much money as he wanted. So, under the influence of his brother and some other people, started stealing more, which ultimately led to him stealing cars. Because there were so many cars at the time. This was right around the time that the Ford had come out, and they were so easy to steal. So, cars were Clyde's thing. Then, we get to a scene where Bonnie has woken up, and they're in an abandoned house. I think the point of this scene, and we see this get bigger and bigger as the movie goes on, is an older farmer comes up to them while they're hanging out around the house. And initially they're worried. They think that he might be trying to call the police on them. But then he explains to them, Used to be my place, but it's not anymore. Bank took it. And it starts the theme that Bonnie and Clyde were these Robin Hoods. Mm -hmm. And they shoot at the bank sign. And Bonnie says the iconic line, We rob banks. That was very much a thing of the time. The banks were evil. And it was people like Bonnie and Clyde who were the real heroes because they were sticking it to the man by robbing the banks. Yeah. The reality is Bonnie and Clyde, they weren't really the Robin Hood people that the movie makes them out to be. They would give money to their parents and their families. It wasn't like they were giving it just to any random people. And the other thing that the movie does is it makes it seem like civilians were off limits. They were never going to kill a civilian, and that wasn't necessarily true. They did steal cars from civilians. We'll see later that they do actually kidnap civilians if they have to. 
And if you got in the way of them trying to escape, they would kill you. And now, especially with Clyde Barrow, he did not want to kill these people. He said later to family members, it really, really bothered him when he did, but Mm -hmm. they would do it. So they're given this persona that they were these heroes. It wasn't really the case. However, it was true that later on, Bonnie and Clyde do become a story for people to read during the Great Depression. And that is accurate that... They were pretty well-known at the time for being these kind of bandits running away from the law. So now we're going to see Bonnie and Clyde rob their first bank. Look, I don't want you to worry about nothing. This is going to be the easiest thing in the world. Your mama could take this bank. Bonnie and Clyde never robbed a bank, just them two. There was always a gang of people with them. But one thing that is accurate in this scene is they did not rob banks a lot because the banks did not have any money. All right, now! It's the stick up. You just take it easy and nothing's going to happen to you. Honey, give me the money. Give me the money. What money, mister? There ain't no money here. What you talking about? This here's a bank, ain't it? Well, <laughs> it was a bank, but we failed three weeks ago. So that's why they resorted to more to grocery stores and stuff like that. Another thing about this scene is it shows Clyde did have a rocky start when he initially began robbing banks. The first bank that he planned to rob was up in Minnesota. He got cold feet and said, no, let's go back down south. There were definitely some mishaps. And I think that's ultimately why people started getting killed. It's because they weren't the greatest criminals. They were not criminal masterminds. And that ultimately led to some issues. So the bank didn't work out, but we finally get to Bonnie and Clyde's go-to thing, a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And we see Clyde in the grocery store. You know he's robbing them only because he's got the gun out. Bread, dozen eggs, quarter milk, four fried pies. Come on now, you sure you ain't got no peach pies? It's actually pretty chill. And this employee comes up from behind him and just tackles him with a meat cleaver. This is a fictionalized moment. However, Mm -hmm. there are a couple instances where they were robbing stores where the shopkeepers tried to get involved. Now, in the movie, the guy does not die. But in both of those instances, the shopkeepers died. One of those was actually one of the first murders that Clyde was accused of. Now, in that case, Clyde was not actually the one to shoot them. Somebody else did. But the way Texas law works, Clyde can still be charged with murder if he is involved in any way in the robbery. In that case, he was the driver. There was also an incident involving the burglary or robbery of a store in Kaufman, Texas, where it was Bonnie Clyde and another gang member. The other gang member was identified and got caught and was arrested. Bonnie was also arrested. However, the shopkeeper was not able to successfully identify Bonnie. So Bonnie did spend some time in jail, but she was released and ultimately never charged. I don't know if that's maybe what this incident was referring to, but there was never an incident where Clyde just beat the crap out of someone and ran out. Now, granted, the guy had a freaking meat cleaver, so it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) And this also establishes now they're on the run and the cops know what they look like in terms of like the plot of the movie. Yeah, and it gives us an opportunity to hear from Clyde this rationalization that will go on throughout the movie. And I think it went on in their real lives, too. He tried to kill me. Why did he try to kill me? I didn't want to hurt him. Try to get some meat around here and some son of a bitch come up on you with a meat cleaver. 
campaign against him. I didn't want to hurt this person. I don't want to hurt people, but I had to hurt him because he came after me with a meat cleaver. And that's kind of how they justify hurting people throughout the course of the movie. Yeah, they do. And it's also mm-hmm. important to point out, I said earlier, he only had two murders where he very intentionally wanted to kill those people. And to be totally honest, especially with the guy that raped him, I totally understand that. Yeah. But there were also instances where it's not like he was defending himself and that he was going to get killed himself. They were running away and the person was shooting at him, so he had to shoot back. There are some instances where one of their fellow gang members freaked out and shot a cop and then Clyde realized that the only way they could get away is that that all the cops died so Clyde would shoot them. He wasn't as much of this guy with these morals and he has no choice. He's got some choices now. Granted, he's on the run and he was kind of set up for failure to have this life of crime, but also you you shot at people. Yeah. (laughs) So after this grocery store robbery, we see Bonnie and Clyde. They're getting their car fixed by this guy. And this is the moment that the movie is showing you them forming their gang. Mm -hmm. The guy that is fixing their car, his name in the movie is C.W. Moss. Now, there is no real person named C.W. Moss. This character is supposed to be a combination of different real people. The reality is they had a lot of people in their gang and they would come in and out at different times. I found one account saying that this C.W. Moss was based on this guy W.D. Jones and another guy Henry Methvin. Yeah, he is based on those two people. The end part of the movie is where he's like Methvin and Mm -hmm. Some more parts in the middle are where he's like the Jones guy. Yeah, so I had that Moss was portrayed as a dumb kid who ran errands for Bonnie and Clyde and did whatever they told him. And then W.D. Jones in real life said, that was me, all right. Uh-oh, Clyde, he ain't the one. Let's go. Hey, boy. You think you got the guts for our line of work? What are you talking about? I spent a year. I spent a year in reformatory. <laughs> a man with a record. Well, I know you got the nerve to shortchange old ladies are coming in for gas. What I'm asking you is, have you got what it takes to pull bank jobs with us? Mr. C.W. Moss. Sure do. I ain't afraid. That's what you think. And W.G. Jones was actually one of the people that talked about the relationship between Bonnie and Clyde because W.G. Jones was afraid of the dark. So he slept with Bonnie and Clyde in the same hotel room. It would be Bonnie and Clyde in the bed and W.G. Jones on the floor or in a chair. And every once in a while, they would send him off to do stupid errands so they could just be alone. So later we'll see C.W. in the same room as them. I didn't realize that was based on actually W.D. needing to be in the same motel room as them. Yes. So now they've got their gang together. And there's a rumbler seat which is super cool the old cars in this movie are like just an extra cherry on top and that was kind of the thing because Clyde would steal cars he loved cars and he would steal the cool ones and at this point in the movie Bonnie is on like her third super stylish outfit Bonnie really did have these very nice clothes now she didn't wear them all the time when they were on the road on the run but they would every once in a while go on a hiatus go into hiding and she loved to dress up she really did actually have a lot of clothes Wow. So now that Bonnie and Clyde have got the gang together, they're going to go do another robbery. It's going to be of a bank, but it's going to go wrong. This robbery is fictionalized. This didn't really happen. And I'm, good God, I'm glad it didn't happen because C.W. Moss is just an idiot in this. Yeah. He drops off Bonnie and Clyde. They're going to go do their thing. And he notices that there is a parking space that has now become available. So what does he do? (laughs) He parallel parks into the parking space. They take their money and they run. And C.W. Moss is nowhere to be found because he has parked (laughs) 
the car. Hi, where's the car? They're freaking out. He's trying to get in and out of the spot. He's hitting the cars in front and back of him. And there's just two guys in the background just looking at him like, did this really just happen? So they eventually get in the car. But because of this little delay, we got a situation where the banker has run out chasing them and Clyde shoots him straight in the face. I mean, it is a straight to the face shot. There is blood on the window. He is dead. Clyde has killed someone. Yeah, this is a super gory scene. And I can't even imagine like for that time that this scene was out, like what people's reaction would have been. But even watching it now, you're like, ugh. And then I think it also takes the seriousness of the movie up a few notches all of a sudden because before that, it's, oh, we're palling around with Bonnie and Clyde. We're on the run and now all of a sudden it's like blood, gore, death. And you see that with him. They are sitting in a movie theater after the fact. They're watching Gold Diggers of 1933. Great movie if you like classic movies. It's it's very fun. But (laughs) Clyde is freaking out and Bonnie... Mm -hmm. They almost make her seem like a psychopath at this point. She is not phased by the fact that they just killed someone, and she is pissed that they are interrupting her while she is watching this movie. You put the last thing I can I can put him on. Kill you. If you boys want to talk, why don't y'all go outside? But it's after this that Clyde offers her a chance to get out because now he's wanted for murder, which you were saying he actually did in real life as well, right? He did. Honey, come on. Talk to you for just a minute. Sit down. Look. This afternoon we killed a man. And we were seen. Now so far nobody knows who you are. But they know who I am. They're going to be running after me and anybody who's running with me. And that's murder now. It's going to get rough. Now look. I can't get out. But right now you still can. I want you to say the word to me. And I'm going to put you on that bus back to your mama. In Clyde's mind, he was not going to get arrested. He was not going to go back to prison. He was going to be killed. He would not go back. He would rather kill himself or be killed than go back to prison again. And he knew that inevitably this was going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So Mm. he didn't want to force her to be on the run like this because that's what he was going to be doing. And he offered this up to her. And her mother also tried to convince her to not stay with him. She was not having it. And I think it was established that one time And both Clyde and Bonnie's mother knew her mind was made up. It wasn't really touched on again, but they did initially give her the option of an out. At this point, they are going to meet up with Clyde's brother, Buck. Now, Buck, in real life at this time, he was married to Blanche Barrow, and he had actually just gotten out of prison. By some miracle, the governor at the time had pardoned him from all of his crimes, and he was released from prison. His wife really was the daughter of a preacher. She was very religious, and he was ready to leave the life of crime behind. He did not want to do it. And in fact, the reason that Clyde and Buck and Bonnie and Blanche all were meeting up was that Buck was going to try to convince Clyde to either escape to Mexico and live a criminal-free life or to turn himself in to prison and maybe get paroled, because at the time, they were actually paroling some murderers out after a few years. However, at the same time, Clyde had other motives. Clyde was trying to get Buck to join his gang. Mm -hmm. So they both come with ulterior motives to this meeting place. They both realize what they're doing, and neither one of them wants to budge, but they decide, hey, 
let's go on a little vacation together. So they end up driving out to a place called Joplin, Missouri. And in the movie, they do drive to Joplin. And at this point in the movie, you're also going to see that when they meet Buck and Blanche, they take the famous pictures. Hey there, let me get the Kodak here. We'll take some pictures. Come on. These pictures, you can Google them and see them anywhere. It's of Clyde sitting on a car with a gun. There's another one of Bonnie pointing a gun at Clyde. And then probably the most famous one is one of Bonnie with a cigar in her mouth holding a gun by the car. In reality, Bonnie hated that photo. When that photo came out, and we'll talk about how it came out later... She was super embarrassed by it. Like, she was horrified that it came out. And she made this big point. There was a kidnapping that went on. And she told the people when they let them go to let everyone know she did not like cigars. <laughs> yeah, Blanche had a camera that she would take places with her. And if you look at um, Blanche's book, there's actually so many good old pictures in it. It's really fun to flip through. As the gang is driving to Joplin, Missouri, we have Buck and Clyde in one car. And Buck and Clyde, they were very close. Buck was older. Clyde saw him as his hero his whole life. Then we have Blanche and Bonnie in the car behind them. And Blanche had no intention of joining this gang. And the way they joined the gang is kind of on accident. And she never really gets over the fact that she has to be a part of this. Yeah, I do have from Blanche's book, though, that I think it's a bit exaggerated. They believe that the character in the movie, she was also kind of mixed with this lady, Mary O'Dare, who none of them liked. She was married to a bank robber buddy of theirs, Hamilton. And Blanche said that Bonnie actually liked having another woman around because she was tired of just being around boys. So I think sometimes I'm sure they got on each other's nerves and Blanche didn't really want to be there. But I, I don't know that Blanche was as annoying as she is in the movie. She is annoying. Like, you want to talk about, I was going to throw my TV against a wall. I was getting so frustrated with her. My fucking Lord. This woman cannot shut the fuck up and has a scream that is like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. And then actually like opposite to Clyde's portrayal, I feel like actual Blanche was quite pretty compared to the actress that they got to play her. <laughs> That's true. That's what I've heard is that she was very beautiful. And that was the first thing as I was doing research after I watched the movie is they were talking about how beautiful Blanche was. And I was like, are we talking about the same person? Am I confused? <laughs> this actress was a fine looking woman, but she's a middle aged lady. She is not like a bombshell. Yeah, they played her to not be a bombshell. So now Bonnie Clyde, Buck and Blanche, and C.W. Moss are all in Joplin, Missouri. One of the first things they show is Bonnie is reading one of her poems called Suicide Sal out loud to everybody. You've heard of a woman's glory being spent on a downright curve. Did you write all that yourself? And do you want to hear this or not? Cur, still you can't always judge the story as true being told by her. Now, Sal was a gal of rare beauty, though her features were coarse and tough. I knew that old gal. She was cockeyed and she had her hair left them no teeth. <coughs> hey, Buck, come on now. Bonnie actually wrote this poem when she was in jail, this poem is actually very dark and very sad. Sal is supposed to be a young woman, and there's also a guy featured in the poem, and it is basically the life of Bonnie and Clyde at the time that Bonnie was in jail. And she kept the poem for years and would tinker with it. 
So while the gang is in Joplin, Missouri, they make the mistake of making themselves very noticeable to other people. They're staying in a little apartment garage. Blanche comes in and out several times with food. They are very drunk and very loud. In fact, at this point, we should probably point out, Bonnie was kind of a borderline alcoholic. And when she met Buck and Blanche for the first time, she was super drunk. And with all the noise, there was began to be suspicions that there were some bootleggers there or that there was alcohol in this apartment. So the police are called. Hey, hey, the laws are outside. They're blocking the driveway. When the police come, the brothers know that if they find out who they are, they're going to realize that they're wanted and they're going to get arrested and that can't happen. So when the police come and they're trying to figure out if there's any bootleggers in the area, they open fire on these people and they manage to get in the car. However, Blanche, being herself, she has brought her dog with her, Snowball, and Blanche makes it so they almost don't get away because she is chasing her fucking dog to then get in the car and run off. Damn it! You almost got us killed! What did I do, Roy? I thought you'd be happy if I got shot! Yeah, it would have saved us all a lot of trouble! This was an important moment for a couple reasons. C.W. Moss kills someone, so he hasn't killed anybody yet at this point. And when they left, they had to escape so quickly, they left a bunch of stuff there. Mm-hmm. And mind you, at the time they ran off, the cops didn't know who they were. But when they saw all the stuff in the house, they figured it out. They saw Buck's parole papers, so they knew who he was. They mm-hmm. knew that probably it was Bonnie and Clyde with them. They found the undeveloped pictures that ultimately they would print. They were the ones that sent this to the media. And they found the handwritten poem, Suicide Sal, that was written by Bonnie. And this also was published. And after this movie came out, Blanche said, that movie made me out like a screaming horse's ass, which this scene is perfect screaming horse's ass. (laughs) Yeah. But they don't show the doggy in the movie, do they? They just have her running around? No, it's just her screaming. So it's even worse because I'm not going (laughs) to lie. If I was in that situation, absolutely I'm chasing my dog and getting him out of there. However, they they really wanted her to look like an idiot. After these events happened, Buck, because they found his parole papers, he cannot go back to a legitimate life anymore. He's going to have to live a life of crime for the rest of his life. He is on the run. He was a part of this. There was a cop that died. He's fucked. And Blanche, as a result, is also fucked. And now she is having to come into this gang with no way out unless she wants to leave Buck. And she's not going to do that. So after they go on the run, we have Buck reading the newspaper, talking about everything they did. And one thing that he points out as he's reading is that they are saying that Bonnie and Clyde and their gang have also robbed a few other stores when they actually did not. That happened very frequently. They were accused of some murders and several robberies that they did not actually do. And it bothered Clyde. He really did not like it when that happened. The scene quickly transitions. Clyde's got to pee. So mm-hmm. they pull over onto the side of the road. And then we get a real weird scene that a lot of cops do not like. So Clyde is on the side of the road taking a piss. And we see a car pull up and a guy get out. And he appears to be a police officer. It is one guy and there are five of them. And he has taken it upon himself to arrest them by himself. <laughs> this did not happen. And ultimately, the family of this officer, whose real name was Frank Hammer, they ultimately sued the movie because this, in combination with some other stuff that's about to happen, did not depict him well. But if you want another Bonnie and Clyde movie, but from Frank Hammer's point of view, The Highway on Netflix is basically this guy's version of events. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it, we should have done that. <laughs> 
No, this is a good one. I like this classic one. And now whenever I hear Warren Beatty, I'll be able to have his little dimple face come in my mind and smiling at me. So Frank Hammer decides, oh, there's the Barrow Gang of five fucking people with their giant guns. I should go arrest them. Also, I don't know why I'm in Missouri when I'm a Texas Ranger, but here we are. He goes up to them and immediately they see him and they grab him and they're not letting him go. Sheriff! They're kind of deciding what should we do with this guy? And Buck suggests they hang him, which did not happen. However, Bonnie decides let's take a picture with him. Take his picture. Huh? Huh? Take his picture. Listen, we take his picture, <laughs> we send it to all the newspapers, and then everybody's going to see Captain Frank Hammer of the Texas Rangers with the Barra Gang, and all of us just as friendly as pie. <laughs> now, you know, we are just about the friendliest folks you would ever want to meet. Big old Texas Ranger waves his gun at us, and we just welcome him like he was one of our own. They've got their names all in the newspaper, Let's show everybody how great the Barrow Gang is. And they start trying to take pictures with him. And Frank spits in Bonnie's face. And one thing about both Bonnie and Clyde, they're described, both of them, from childhood up to adulthood. They're sociable, they're fun, but if you fuck with them or anyone they know, they (laughs) will fucking kill you. Neither one of them was scared to pick a fight. Mm -hmm. And so all hell breaks loose. Basically, they just abandoned him in a canoe. We don't know how he ever got out of that. But it has established this moment that this cop wants revenge on them. And it sort of makes him out to be a bad guy. Now, in reality, let's talk about who Frank Hammer really was. He Mm -hmm. was a Texas Ranger. He was semi-retired at the time that Bonnie and Clyde were running around. At some point after so many robberies, they asked Frank Hammer to investigate the Bonnie and Clyde situation and try to find them and capture them. Mm -hmm. So he came out of his semi-retirement with a task force to find Bonnie and Clyde. He never met them. He did not see them in person until the day that they were killed and he saw their bodies. Yeah. So this whole little montage, it never happened. And he did not appreciate that. But Mm -mm. at this point, we have just abandoned him in a canoe. He will come back later. Time for maybe my favorite scene. (laughs) I actually forgot how funny Gene Wilder is. I was a big Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory kid. And I realized as I got older, that whole movie was over my head. But I did not realize how funny he is. He's just, he's so subtly hilarious. I love him. Yeah. I was so excited to see Gene Wilder in this movie. We get to another scene where Bonnie and Clyde and everybody, they got to steal a car. Their car is fucked. Mm -hmm. And they steal a car. And we see the man that the car belongs to. And who is it? None other than Gene Wilder. That's my car. And (laughs) Evans Evans. The actress is Evans Evans. This is based on an incident that happened with an undertaker named H.D. Derby, and they say his acquaintance named Sophia Stone. I don't know if is that his girlfriend or what, but anyway. This happened in Ruston, Louisiana on April 27th of 1933, and what happens in the movie is Gene Wilder is just himself. They steal the car, and he starts chasing after them. I'm gonna tear them apart, those punks stealing a man's car. What? Wait, I got my hands on those kids, Velma. I'm going to tear them apart. And then he realizes, Sophia Stone points out to him. What if they have guns, Eugene? 
So he decides, no, we're not going to do this. And he turns around. And the Barrow gang decides they're going to come chase him down. And they chase down his car. And they're doing this kind of a creepy, sadistic thing where they're getting off on scaring the shit out of these people where they're all looking through the windows. In reality, Mm -hmm. they weren't really like that. If they were stealing a car like that, it was because they were taking the car and they couldn't get out of the car and just, you're coming with us, sorry, type Mm -hmm. of thing. But in the movie, they actually take the car and they do not let them get out. And so now we have H.G. Derby. And in the movie, his name is Eugene Gizzard. That's Gene Wilder. (laughs) And Sophia Stones in the movie is Velma Davis. They're just sitting in the middle and they are suddenly with this barrel gang. Well, we're the barrel gang. Uh, that, that's Clyde driving. Uh, I'm Buck. That's my wife, Blanche. Bonnie Parker, CW. Oh, now listen, y'all. Don't be scared. I mean, it ain't like you was the law or anything like that. I mean, you just folks, just like us. Yeah. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I expect you've been reading about us. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We have to. It's funny because it it starts over a matter of hours. At first, they're just scared shitless and don't know what to say. And by the end, Mm -hmm. they're all just like BFFs and eating food. What actually happened in the real event, they drove them about 50 miles and then let them out and they went on their merry way. This actually happened quite a bit. They didn't intentionally kidnap people, but sometimes it would happen. These were two civilians that it happened with, and there were also a couple instances with cops where they came with them and they would just let them go. It was never really a big deal. And actually, both the police and the civilians were usually pretty surprised that no violence came of it. They were 50 miles from where they were and that was a little inconvenient. It gets a little weird in this scene because Bonnie asks Eugene, Hey, what do you do anyhow? I'm an undertaker. (laughs) Get them out of here. And she gets Mm -hmm. super upset and kicks him out of the car. Yeah. I took that as like ominous. This is a bad omen, so we have to kick him out. So it's super interesting to me that the guy in real life actually was an undertaker too, because I was like, ooh, that's like, Bad juju, you just picked up an undertaker. You're going to die soon. So Bonnie is upset and they let Eugene and them out of the car. And then we cut to it's morning suddenly. It was just night. And mm-hmm. Bonnie is sprinting through a field away from everybody. I don't know where she thinks she's going. And Clyde is running after her. Bonnie! You stay alone! Where are you going? Get away! Bonnie! Go home! Bonnie! Help! Bonnie, help! help. I want to see my mama. I want to see my mama. Please, honey. Don't never leave me without saying nothing. Bonnie talks about how much she misses her mother. She has not seen her mother in the movie world since this movie began. The reality was they saw their parents as often as they could. Both Bonnie and Clyde were very close to their families, particularly their mothers, and they wanted to take care of them. And actually, Bonnie's mom and Clyde's mom, they were acquaintances. I wouldn't say they were good friends, but they did confide in each other their worries about their kids because they were both on the run together. We get to the next scene, and this is actually pretty accurate to what they would do. They would use various code words and get a message to their families, and the code words would be something like, hey, we're having chicken dinner, want to come, and get the information to them that they wanted to meet up with them. I didn't realize this. The reason they didn't call them is because they were worried their phones were tapped. I didn't know you could tap a phone in the 30s. Yeah, side note, but in the Highwaymen movie, they basically bring up wiretapping and show people being, like, super surprised, and it's, like, definitely, like... 
Big Brother watching you themes throughout it, which is crazy. I wouldn't have really thought about it happening back then. So what they would do is they would meet up in fields in the middle of nowhere. They would wait on the sides of highways until they were told they were good to get over there. And you see that happening in the movie and you see C.W. Moss on guard. One thing that wasn't accurate in this is Bonnie's mom is very cold. Well, just the other night, uh, me and Bonnie were talking and uh, we were talking about the time we we're going to settle down and get us a home. And, uh, uh, she says to me, she says, you know, I couldn't bear to live more than three miles from my precious mother. Now, how'd you like that, Mother Parker? I don't believe I would. I surely don't. And there's a couple interesting things about this, actually. They really did film this in Texas. And this woman that plays Bonnie's mom, she was just a local lady that they saw. They just picked her to be the mom. Now, I have no clue why they wouldn't have this person already cast. Because I was wondering, why is she so robotic? I was thinking that. And then I learned that she wasn't actually an actress and it made a lot more sense. The reality was there was no point ever where she said, I'm never going to see you again or didn't want to speak to her. They always were communicating. One thing about these little rendezvous they would have with their families is it was an incident like this that ultimately led to Bonnie no longer being perceived as this Robin Hood hero. This incident happened on April 1st, 1934. What was happening was it's Bonnie Clyde and the C.W. Moss in this situation, in the real story, was a guy named Methvin. And they were waiting for one of these rendezvous to happen. They were parked on the side of the highway. And many accounts today believe that Bonnie was asleep in the back of the car. And Clyde and Methvin were in the front. A patrolman named H.D. Murphy and another one named Edward Bryant Wheeler. They saw them parked on the side of the road and thought that maybe it was a flat tire or something. So they went up to approach him. When they approached this Methvin guy... He was a fairly new member of the gang, and he panicked, and he immediately shot one of the guys. When he did that, Clyde then, he knew that the only way they were going to escape is to kill both of them. He shot the other cop. There were people around, but it's now been determined that none of those accounts were accurate. People seem to think that Bonnie was one of the people that shot at the cops and actually killed them. And it made Bonnie go from being this hero to a monster. And it did not help that she was a woman. So this significantly changed the perception of Bonnie and Clyde and up until the point that they were dead. And a big thing about this that made it that much more tragic is one of the officers, Officer Murphy, he actually was about to get married in like two weeks and his wife wore her dress to his funeral. Oh my God. And there were descriptions saying that Parker laughed at the way Murphy's head bounced like a rubber ball on the ground as she shot him. Other stories said that the police found a cigar butt with tiny teeth marks in it, alluding that it belonged to Bonnie Parker. This really became a problem for her and for them. Then we get Mm -hmm. to our next big moment in the movie that did actually happen. This is based on real events. It's when they go to Pallet City, Iowa in the movie. I don't know why they did this. Pallet City is in Missouri. It's in Missouri. It's supposed to be Missouri. But instead we have these Iowa cabins. Yeah. So here's what happens in Pallet City, Iowa slash Missouri. On July 18th, 1933, the gang checks into a little motel called the Red Ground Tourist Court. It was managed by a guy named Neil Hauser. And he kind of took interest in the group, again, because they were making themselves publicly seen. Particularly Blanche. She <laughs> kept walking around. Blanche was really a problem here buying food and beer. Well, I think that they might have sent her a lot because they thought that she was, like, less identifiable, but then people's 
actual reaction. It's like, what's this lady doing? Who's all this food for? Yeah, that is true. The other thing that they noticed is that they use silver coins to pay instead of dollar currency, which hmm. it was unusual. So this place that Blanche kept going to get food from, it also happened to be a popular restaurant among the Missouri Highway Patrolmen. And it didn't help that the car that they were driving, this manager, this Neil Hauser guy, he noticed that it was, quote unquote, backed into the garage gangster style, like for a quick uh. getaway. The next day, July 19th, this manager notices that they have taped newspaper over the windows of their cabin. Blanche is paying for more food with coins, and it's causing a problem. He also noticed that she had fancy riding pants that were really not typical for the time. It made her stand out. And he sees a patrol officer in the restaurant that's right by, and he just mentions, there's this weird group of people staying in my motel. In the movie, we see Blanche clearly being noticed by the cops in this restaurant. You clearly see them go in. She's with C.W. Moss. The cops see that C.W. Moss has a gun, and apparently gun equals bad person. Like, that is the only glimpse Mm -hmm. he sees is there is a guy with a gun, and he's like, oh, shit, I'm going to follow them, which seems a little sketchy. In reality, what happened is the police put the motels under surveillance, and at some point, they're pretty sure there are wanted criminals in there that have warrants. They call for backup from a few different places, and they actually bring in an armored car. Like, they are ready to go, and they are going to storm this place. And there's an armored car in the movie. That one was made for the movie, but it's seriously, like, so cool looking. I remember thinking, is that real or is that for this movie? But yeah, there was an armored car. They are not fucking around, because not only are they sure that it's people with warrants, they're pretty sure it's Bonnie and Clyde. They know. Basically, a big shootout takes place. Buck gets shot in the head. Blanche is blinded by glass fragments. The group escapes. They get to an area called Dexfield Park. It was an abandoned amusement park. Now, in the movie, it's just an abandoned field. Somehow, Buck is still alive. Mm -hmm. And we get a lot of Blanche screaming, don't die, daddy. Daddy, don't die. Which Blanche actually did call Buck daddy and yep. Buck called her baby. And that's how they referred to each other. And in her memoir, she basically says she was screaming like this. So even though she was mad that the movie portrayed her as a screaming horse's ass in her own memoir, she's like, and then I'm just screaming, daddy, don't die. We're back to the daddy thing. Actually, that is a thing because my great grandparents, they died when I was about 16 and they mm-hmm. would call each other. He called her mother and she called him daddy. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't. I'm not going to do it. I will not do it. So Bonnie, Clyde, and C.W. Moss, they've got no choice. They have to leave Buck. He's he's going to die if not already dead. So they narrowly escape. Blanche is captured, but she's blind. Then as they are trying to escape, they also show not only C.W. Moss and Clyde shot, Bonnie ends up getting shot. I don't believe Bonnie actually got shot, but it's kind of a good time to talk about another injury that Bonnie got. Clyde was a crazy, insane driver, and they show him in the movie at this point driving like a maniac, and that's kind of how they ended up getting away from things. In real life, there was one incident where Clyde was driving super fast and wrecked the car, and Bonnie's leg got severely burned by acid. Like, you could see the bone. She was very, very sick, 
And Mm. she never recovered from that. It's never featured in the movie, but that was a big thing with the reality of Bonnie. So her and Clyde were kind of unusual characters in real life. He had this limp because he didn't have toes. And most of the time, Clyde had to carry her because she could not walk. Wow. So in the movie, Bonnie and Clyde are not doing well. C.W. Moss takes him to his dad's. Dad isn't particularly crazy about it, but they're just recovering. Meanwhile, we're back to Frank Hammer. And he has gone to see Blind Blanche, who has now been captured. And this did not happen. And this is another reason the family was pissed. He comes in and he tricks her. He doesn't tell her who he is. And he's touching her on the shoulders in this real creepy way. And he's saying, I imagine old Buck wasn't a bad sort, was he? (laughs) No, he wasn't. (laughs) I reckon Clyde just sort of led him astray, didn't he? He needed to know who the third person involved at the shooting where Buck died was. He knew about Bonnie and Clyde. He didn't know who that third person, C.W. Moss, was. In the movie, he tricks Blanche into telling her who it is. They done led your Buck astray. (laughs) Clyde, his own brother, Bonnie, and that little fella. The one that was with you when you took that Texas Ranger in Missouri. He was with you all along, wasn't he? C.W. And now that he knows who that is, he can go find that person's family and see if he can track them down. Because he can't get anything through Bonnie and Clyde's family, but maybe he can get it through this person he now knows as C.W. Moss. It makes him look like a monster. Yeah. Then we get a shot, and it's a very sneaky shot. And it is the father of, in the movie C.W. Moss, in real life, it was the father of Henry Methvin, who is one of their gang members. He's talking to someone we don't know who it is, but I knew. Like, I could see the mustache. I knew immediately. We get a slow turnaround, and it is Frank Hammer. And now we know that he knows where they are. And this is not good. And then we get a short, short scene between father and son in movie. It's C.W. Moss and his dad. And he's like, Boy, did they expect you to go downtown with them tomorrow. Who? Bonnie and Clyde, that's you. Bonnie and Clyde. Sure, I always go with them. Yeah. Yeah, you better. You better go. When they go to get in their car to come on home, don't you get back in there with them. Why, Daddy? You listen to your pa for once. Can't you do that? I'm your pa. I'm your kin. Not that there Clyde Barrow. They're going to go down out to town, and his dad is telling him, you will not come back. I've gotten you a deal, and this did happen in real life. I made a deal and got you off with a couple of years. You just be sure that you're off the streets in that town when they go to get in their car. Fucking C.W. Moss is an idiot and doesn't decide to warn Bonnie and Clyde about this. He just says, oh, they can escape. We're back to Bonnie and Clyde. They've now recovered, and they're actually doing pretty well. And we hear Bonnie read her poem, The Story of Bonnie and Clyde. You've heard the story of Jesse James, of how he lived and died. If you're still in need of something to read, here's the story of Bonnie and Clyde. You think if I sent that into newspapers, it'd print it? I'm gonna do it. Now, Bonnie and Clyde are the Barrow Gang, I'm sure you all have read how they rob and steal and those who squeal are usually found dying or dead. And in the movie, Clyde loves it so much he wants to send it to the newspapers, and they do. 
This did not happen in real life. Her mother found this after she died, and she sent it to the newspapers, but it at no point was ever published while they were alive. This poem also moves Clyde to the point that he can finally have sex. They have sex, finally. (laughs) They did it. So they're finally at a point where Clyde says he wants to marry her. We don't know if they ever had this conversation. But one thing that is interesting, and this was not like Clyde's persona, but I thought it was interesting they put it in there. Bonnie asks, What'd you do if some miracle happened? And we could walk out of here tomorrow morning and start... All over again, clean, with no record, with nobody after us. And his answer to her, it's very strategic. Well, uh, I guess I'd do it all different. First off, I wouldn't live in the same state where we pull our jobs. We would live in, a, in, a, in another state and we'd stay clean there. And then when we want to take a bank, we'd go into the other state. And this upsets her. She, it's very subtle, but she's upset by this. Really, she wanted him to say, I wouldn't have ever become a criminal. The reality right. is Clyde did not want to be a criminal. He never did. And then we get to our final scene. You have them hanging out around town, and they cannot find CW Boss to save their life. Hey, where is that boy? Oh, listen, I'll go get him, okay? Now, what's actually happened is C.W. Moss's dad has told him, do not go with him. He's told them what's going to happen. And instead of waiting for him, Bonnie and Clyde run into an issue that there's cops around and they need to get out of the public eye. They couldn't be in the public eye for very long. So they they get in the car and they're like, well, come back and get him. And it's really, it made you tense. And I knew what was coming. So I got real sad. Clyde is being this goofball. He's got these broken glasses on. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're finally look normal for the first time. So Ivy Melvin, who is the father of their fellow gang member, he is on the side of the road and he gets them to pull over and they don't realize this is all a trap. And in the movie, it happens very slow. There's no one's talking is what's kind of weird. There's it's very silent. And then out of nowhere, the dad jumps under his car. So he's covered and you realize what's happening. And it's cool is there's some close ups of Bonnie and Clyde looking around and then clearly looking at each other the way the edit is and they know what's happening they know the moment is there and some birds flash by and just the bullets start flying there's clearly blood everywhere they are like pounding these bodies the actors are physically jerking around like bullets are in their bodies and Mm -hmm. i counted it it was 23 seconds of just straight shooting wow and it is fucking loud and then it just stops And they finally stop moving, and it's just, there's no denying they're dead. And the movie ends very abruptly. It just has the cops come up and a couple bystanders just look at them, and Mm -hmm. there they are. They're fucking gone. And that is how they ended up dying. It happened just outside of Louisiana. After they died, there were thousands of people around the funeral home where they were. People, Everybody wanted to try and see them. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, both Bonnie and Clyde were buried in Dallas, Like we talked about earlier, this movie broke many cinematic taboos. To a certain extent, some people criticize it for kind of opening the floodgates to really violent graphic movies. But overall, people say that it was just a paradigm-shifting classic. It's like no other thing that was happening at the time. The movie was one of the first movies to be nominated for double-digit number of Academy Awards. It won two. One was Best Cinematography, and one was, for fucking Blanche, Best Supporting Actress, Estelle Parsons won. (laughs) God, you really—you were very good at playing a very annoying person. 
Also, real Blanche, she ends up not liking the movie after it's made, but she like read the script first and thought it seemed pretty true. So she okayed that they could use her name and everything. And during production, Beatty would come to her house and like play her tunes on the piano, like real life Blanche and tell her like if she needed anything, call him, that type of thing. And so she like really liked him, even though she didn't like the movie that he produced. And then they asked her about like, what was the overall impact of this movie coming out on your life? And she said that it nearly caused her husband to divorce her but her in-laws never liked her anyway (laughs) because she gets remarried after she gets out of prison but while blanche was in prison she had many men interested in her writing her letters and all this stuff (laughs) i'm saying check out her book because the pictures are awesome like she has seriously the hottest picture is like her jail picture it's like such a glamour shot And then she was in jail with a lot of, the editor describes it as most of the other women like Blanche were serving time largely because of their love for the wrong man. Others were drug dealers or addicts. But so she has a picture with Edna Murray, the kissing bandit. Like she was in jail with these other like famous lady criminals of the South. And so it's just kind of wild to look through those pictures. Oh my God. Now I'm mad I didn't read that. Girl, there were so many stories for this movie. I, it was, uh, this one was a little overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, there's a lot. Surprisingly, even though this movie did really well, it was really controversial to release. And at first, Warner Brothers did not want to promote Bonnie and Clyde for general release. They did some limited regional releases. It was doing really well on those regional releases. And Warren Beatty kind of stepped up the plate and said that Warner Brothers was creating a conflict of interest because they had put a lot of money into another movie, Reflections in a Golden Eye, and they were neglecting his film. And he said he was going to threaten to sue them. So finally, Uh Warner Brothers gave in and released the film generally. And to their surprise, it became a box office success. It did really, really well and then got them all these Oscars. But they were very nervous about it. In 1992, the film was selected for the preservation in the National Film Registry because it was culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. It was not, however, historically accurate. Yeah. And that is the story and the movie of Bonnie and Clyde. We did it. Oh, my God. This one was hard. So what are we doing next week? Next week, we are doing Foxcatcher. Ooh. Gonna get some Channing Tatum back into our lives. You're gonna be surprised. The makeup in this movie is shocking. He has got some cauliflower ears. <laughs> but also, just a note, if you have seen the 30 for 30 Prince of Pennsylvania, it's the same story, but Foxcatcher is primarily based on one of the brothers that was involved. It's about their book. So the movie is different than Prince of Pennsylvania, the 30 for 30. So I highly recommend watching it, even if you have seen the 30 for 30. Nice. All righty. And that is it for this week. We will see you next time. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our username, or follow us on Instagram. What? Follow us on Instagram. (laughs) And please... (laughs) I gotta start making bloopers. Ah, I can't talk anymore. And please be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at at Crime Scenes Pod and on Facebook at Crime Scenes, a true crime movie podcast. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.